and welcome to the Deep Town NBA podcast. My name's Sean. Joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer and special guest from the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the Locked On NBA Podcast and Basketball Monster, Josh Lloyd. How are we guys? Very good, mate. Good, uh, good guys. Good to be on. Thanks for coming on, Josh. So uh, most of our listeners will know we're launching a fantasy basketball league this year on Yahoo. Um, and because Sean and I are both kind of rookies uh, when it comes to the fantasy basketball landscape, we thought who better than Josh Lloyd to <laughs> come on and sort of set our head straight and tell us what's what. So we've got Josh on today just to give us um, an overview of the fantasy basketball landscape, look at drafting strategies, um, strategies for managing your team throughout the league. So um, yeah, thank you again. And um, I just guess we want to start by asking you to sort of run us through you know, your um, experience with basketball and how you came to be, uh, you know, one of Australia's preeminent fantasy basketball minds. Um, well, I started watching the NBA ages ago, back in primary school, which was around the, the early 90s, um, Jordan era Bulls. So you started then when a lot of people, I guess, in Australia started. Um, our coverage there was pretty limited at that point. We're talking about Saturday morning, Steve Carfino uh, NBA shows. Um, and then grew from there, you know, started you know, collecting you know, basketball cards and, and a bit more coverage started coming through through the uh, when Shaq entered the league and that sort of stuff. So pretty popular around that time. So sort of faded out a bit, I guess, in, in the early 2000s. I got back into it mid-2000s and started playing fantasy basketball around then. And then um, I think it was about 2013, just looking for a hobby, something to keep myself occupied after work. Started uh, doing a bit of writing in fantasy basketball, just started a website, started writing. And then... A few months after that, I uh, got, a, got a sort of part-time job out of that and started a podcast. And then it all, all went from there, just uh, kept growing and growing and growing into the, uh, where I am now and doing it as a full-time job. Mm. Yeah, and I mentioned just before off air that I, I played my first ever fantasy basketball league in the 2016-17 season. Um, and I was an avid listener, weekly listener to the Locked On Fantasy uh, Basketball podcast. And I won that league, which is up in the trophy room. Um <laughs> Letting everyone know about it, and I credit a lot of my a lot of my success to listen to your pod because I took most of your advice and I won, and I was almost undefeated if I didn't lose my phone for a week. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate. It. I'm sure it wasn't just all me. I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm sure it was you making all those savvy moves and, and grabbing those guys that you needed to. But I appreciate hearing that. <laughs> yeah, definitely wasn't the Dion waiters I took just before he got injured with my last pick. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. Uh, you know, let's let's just get right into it. Um, uh, our league is going to be a head-to-head one-win league. Um, we've got 20 teams, and the stats we're going off are points, rebounds, assists, three points made, blocks, steals, and turnovers. Um, sorry, not turnovers. Um, we decided to go for it. We're not going to go for shooting percentages, although I do love the leagues where you saw maybe your punt free throw or maybe your punt three-point percentage. Um, but Dante and I are big fans of the sort of fantasy guys like that aren't, your typical good basketball player. So he loves seeing Terry Rozier and Dennis Schroeder just absolutely kill it in fantasy. Maybe not kill it that hard, but (laughs) we we love finding value in those weird Larry Nances and, you know, again, the Dennis Schroeders of the world. So that's the sort of, that's the sort of league we're targeting. And we think there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential success here and there's probably going to be higher scoring games, we hope. So is that, that's why you went without the, the percentages? Because percentages, look, they they can be annoying. They fluctuate quite a bit, but they can also bring teams back when you're at a games play disadvantage, which is often mm. one of the, the criticisms of fantasy basketball leagues is that it's not a weekly schedule. Some teams play five games, some will play three, some will play four, some might play two. Mm. And it can 
that out because you don't need to actually have, you know, it's not a, not a cumulative number, it's a rate number. Mm. So it can help balance it out there with those uh, those sort of numbers. Well, that's actually a good point. Right? You know, I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't thought about that at all. Um, I guess maybe you're adding in another element of luck, which isn't, you know, it's up to what you think about it. So maybe there's, there is a little bit of luck there where maybe I've got a Kawhi Leonard and he's only, the Clippers are only going to play two games that week or something like that. That's the sort of thing that will balance out over the course of the season though. Like if you're on the end of one where you're, you know, most of your players play two or three games and your opponent plays four or five, um, you know, three weeks later, you might be on the, the reverse end of that. So it'll... True. You know, and yeah that's true actually that's very true yeah well that's definitely something for us to think about um where i think we're about five days out from our draft mm. so we've got i mean we've got time to fine tune and just sort of tinker everything um you know over the next couple of days before we get um stuck in um so there's like obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff surrounding fantasy basketball so i just want to start off of the top uh who are you targeting obviously you do like you know tons of leagues and i'm assuming that there's um different leagues of different experience levels and you're going to be using different strategies in each league but just sort of uh assessing it overall who are you targeting at the top of the draft if you're looking at a top three or a top five pick um look it, it obviously you're right it does depend but to me in, in a standard type of league there's the top five blokes which are pretty set mm-hmm. you're talking hard anthony davis steph curry yanni after the kumpo and um uh, carl anthony towns be your top five and any of those guys i can make an argument to be the number one guy or the number five guy so anytime you, you get yourself saddled with a top five pick getting one of those guys you're pretty straightforward like you can't go wrong with making any of those selections in that top five so that's that's what I want to do now. If I'm sitting at one, I probably take Harden. If I'm sitting at two, I probably take Towns. Um, generally, I'd take Davis, yeah, Kumpo, and then Curry. But again, I, I could mix it up. And if I'm in a league where I've got, if I'm in two leagues and I've got the number one pick, I'll mix it up. I'll take Harden in one, yeah. I'll take Towns in another. I'll, I'll change it around just uh, so I've got a little bit of variety there. So what, uh, I'm a bit surprised to hear you saying Towns over Davis. So is that just sort of sheer lack of options on Minnesota and the fact that he's going to be like the number one like number one number two and number three scoring option on the team yeah pretty much um they're also with with uh ryan saunders there now in, instead of tom thibodeau we, you know i had plenty of frustrations with the way that uh, thibodeau would coach the wolves and he'd run yeah derrick rose long twos and andrew wiggins long twos and they completely freeze out towns but in the second half of the season when saunders took over we saw a lot more out of uh, out of towns in fact he averaged 20 points over the final 35 games of the season he's they're also going to run a lot more of the offense through him and get him passing more in a Nikola Jokic light sort of a role uh and he, he just doesn't get hurt and there's no load management issues there's no prior injury risk or anything anyone can get hurt at any point but he doesn't have any sort of injury history that's any sort of concern there elite in both percentages which for you guys is not going to be as much of a factor mm. But in a, in a league that counts those percentages, he is super strong in both of those. And getting someone who is strong in both those categories can be uh, can be tough at times. Mm, well, you touched on a little bit there about how Towns doesn't get hurt. And in a couple of mock drafts that I've done, I've sort of, obviously, they're mock drafts, they don't really matter. But I've sort of steered clear of Anthony Davis just because of the injury concerns there. And let's say at a maximum, he plays 60 games and that could really hurt us, especially in the league we're doing without percentages where you really need them to play the games. And if he misses one game with some weird toe injury or maybe like a hip injury or some weird Anthony Davis stuff, um, is it is it worth me sort of red flagging him and just sort of not really, you know, let's say I do get a top three pick uh, or a top five pick and the last guy left is Davis, would I be silly to maybe pick Jokic at five if all the other aforementioned guys have already been taken? 
Yeah, I think he would be silly to do that. Look, there is a, a narrative surrounding Davis because he, you know, he he goes to the locker room so often. But prior to last season, where he had the trade issue and sat out the last two months of the season, he played 75 games in each of those previous two seasons, mm. which is missing seven games. Like, it's not much. Mm. So for all the, oh, he's so fragile. He's always injured. He's always in the locker room. He missed seven games. Like over that time, like there are plenty of players. Like last season, Anthony Kuba missed 11 games. But nobody talks about that mm. as a, you know, he's so injury prone, even though he, he missed 11 games and said Davis missed seven in, in those two previous seasons. So I think it, it does, it is something that's stuck with him for a, a long time, even though he, he does go down and you hold your breath every time he, he falls or he goes in the stands and he goes in the locker room and he comes out and plays 20 second half minutes and goes for 20 and 12 in, in an entire half. Mm. Um, so it is a little bit overblown, I think. Okay. Are there any blokes who just sort of in that same vein you are a bit worried about in terms of um, either injuries that they're taking into their season, a la Oladipo, or... Um, like with the zinger. Yeah, or like with Porzingis where there's like an extensive injury history? Um, look, the Oladipo one is a huge concern. Look, I don't expect him back until probably you know, around Christmas, mm. um, yeah, mid-December to Christmas, which is a trouble. You know, you're missing October, you're missing November, most of December. And then when he comes back, it's not like he comes back first night, he's playing 35 minutes a night every game from there mm. on now. Like it's a, it's a ramp up process. This is a significant injury that he injured in January last season. We haven't seen any NBA player at this level uh, of Oladipo come back. Tony Parker had it a couple of years ago, but when he came back, he was 36 years of age. So how can you really tell how that affected him? And then he retired like one year later. So it is hard to see how that's going to impact an NBA player. Like a ruptured, a ruptured quad is a huge issue. So we don't know how he's returning. It's going to be a slow ramp up, at least a two, I'd say two or three weeks after he returns until those minutes come back up. Minutes and then there'll be games sat down. He struggled already before the injury last season with knee problems. Uh, he's a, a massive, I'm just uh, avoiding it unless he falls to like pick 100. Porzingis, it's been 18 months since he tore his ACL. You guys know that you know, ACL is not the injury it was 10 years ago, not or 15 years ago. Mm. Guys come back. And this is you know, not him rushing back after nine months. We're talking an extended layoff. Uh, he'll have some games where he sits out. I, just, I don't think it's too much of a concern. He has had other injuries, some severe ankle sprains, but a lot of that he's yeah, unlucky. I remember he had a, a massive ankle sprain where his uh, entire ankle went at 90 degrees to his leg. I thought, oh, he's broken his leg. And that was, that's you know, that's just stuff that happens when you jump up and fall down and you, and you sprain your ankle. That's nothing mm. inherent in uh, a player in terms of recovery sort of stuff. So what, there is some worry with a guy like that. I worry more about players who we actually know are injured, like Oladipo, like Paul George, who's going to miss probably all of November. But they're the guys that I'm more worried about rather than these, hey, they were injured two years ago. How, how scared should I be? We've got to have a level of caution, but the guys who are actually injured, that's the real problem. And something Dante's picked up on is he's looking through uh, average draft positions for ESPN and Yahoo. And he's. Uh, you know, There's take... just some crazy variation in the ADP for some of these for some of these guys. So the top sort of ten or fifteen is 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 pretty much chalk. But um, you know, I'm looking at guys like Siakam who in Yahoo um, his ADP is 35 and in ESPN it's 15. So you're talking about the difference between a late. Uh, you know, like a late second round pick and a mid first round pick. So what sort of goes into why there's so much swing between the two platforms? Why is there discrepancy? ESPN doesn't know what they're doing. A lot of this <laughs> fantasy basketball stuff. That's pretty much what There's no justifiable way because they, they come out, they put out projections, right? Um, they don't marry up to the rankings. Like they, they pull these numbers out of their uh, out of their asses. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. You can but say, they, you can say literally make... whatever you want on our podcast. <laughs> so... 
they, they pull this stuff out of nowhere. Like, there's no way that Siakam is going to be that level. If you look at their stat projections for him, they've projected basically the same sort of numbers as he averaged last season, yet they're expecting him to be a 30-spot better player, which, again, makes no sense whatsoever. They've got, I think, Giannis Antetokounmpo projected to play 37 minutes a night when he played 31 last year, stuff that makes no sense, but not actually bumping his numbers up over where he was last season. So nothing actually marries in and makes sense. So any of the ESPN numbers, they're wrong. Look, that's if, it's, if something looks off, the ESPN ones are wrong. <laughs> well, that clears it up because I was just, I just was thinking, I was trying to rack my brain and figure out, you know, what sort of possible reason could there be? Because some of the swings are just like wild. Like we're talking like 20, 25 spot swings for, you know, like some pretty well-known players. But um, luckily for us, we're doing, our, we're doing ours on Yahoo. So we don't have to worry about navigating any of that. Um, Worldwide leader in sports bullshit. <laughs> so we're we're in the clear. Um, in the same vein as looking at blokes who you're targeting at the top of the draft, we're wondering if you've got any sort of sleeper picks that you think is going to be great value. Either you know, could be could be early rounds, could be like sort of end of the draft as well. Um, look, the way that things have sort of gone this year in terms of the the value on sites, a lot of it has been um, it's been tightened up quite a bit, especially lately. Yahoo puts out stuff. Uh, I tend to then do a, a podcast and a couple of days later, they change their rankings. Maybe coincidence, I'm not sure. But with the way that you guys are setting up, there, there are players who've still got value there, like a, a guy like a Alonzo Ball in particular. These guys, if you don't have percentages and guys who struggle in percentages, their value rises pretty significantly. So you get a guy like Alonzo Ball, who's you know, got an ADP of 80. Like I, He's a pretty clear top 50 sort of an option, I think, in a setup that you've got. You know, these guys who might struggle with shooting in some area, like a Jar Morant, like he's another guy whose value jumps up in that situation, considering his field goal percentage might not be that high. I really like Terry Rogier, a name you mentioned already, who is going to kill your field goal percentage. But if you don't have that, he's just going to take as many shots as possible and put up yeah, some pretty significantly uh, big numbers. Uh, for, for for this season in Charlotte as as the number one guy, so those sort of guys who those ADP numbers are tailored towards standard type formats. You've got to find the differentiation between what you're doing and and what everyone else is doing in terms of that ADP and work out who benefits in that situation. And uh, do you mind giving us a little bit of a crash course on punting stats while drafting? Because I know it's something I would really like to have known uh, back in the day when I first started. But um, yeah, do you mind just giving a bit of a bit of a rundown on how to punt stats mid-draft and what you're looking for and sort of, let's say you draft X player, um, where are you going to bounce off from that? Um, so the idea of, of punting a category means ignoring that category. So mm-hmm. you're not paying attention to it. So in a league like you, you guys, when you've got minimal categories, it becomes harder to do because if you've only got six categories in there, each category is worth what, 15% of the overall, 18%, whatever it is, of the overall value of a league. In a nine-category league, you're talking about 11%. So it, it is obviously more impactful the fewer categories that you've got. Mm-hmm. So that, that is something to pay attention to. But what it means is instead of um, allocating your resources to try and be competitive in nine categories, you're eliminating a couple of those from your evaluation of a player and trying to be better in seven categories. Like It's basically just... If you're trying to you know, divide up a pizza amongst eight blokes or four blokes, if there's four guys, everyone gets two slices. So everything bumps up in terms of that value and you're pumping that into those numbers. That's what uh, punting is. A lot of people will get it confused and think it means that you're deliberately trying to lose that category where well, that's not what it is. You're not out there seeking every bad free throw percentage guy. Look, okay, so I'm going to draft Rudy Gobert, then it's Drummond, then I'll get LeBron, I'll get Simmons and I'll get Capella and my team's free throws are 60% and that's fantastic. But that means nothing. Because- <laughs> You've, you lose that. You lose that category if you're at sixty percent, or if you're at seventy percent. 
It doesn't actually matter how much worse you get. It's about building up those other numbers. So it's about allocating resources into smaller areas to boost those numbers up without having to spread yourself too thin. Okay. So are you going into a draft having kind of a good idea what categories you're going to punt or does that is that something that you kind of have to feel out as the draft process goes on? Um, you, you've got to be able to adjust. You have to be able to do that. Um, look, generally what I'll do is I'll take whoever the best guy I think is there with my first pick and then every other pick is tailored around that. Now, if it gets to a stage where I was hoping to... Um, you know, punt free throw or sport. say I was punting field goal percentage, for example. And then I get to a stage and it's happened to me in the past where, where Clint Capella is available. I go, well, he's going to actually kill my free throw percentage and he's going to help my field goals, even though I was punting it. But the benefit I get from adding his blocks and adding his rebounds. So getting a boost in those two categories, boosting my field goals to average, but hurting my free throws, it's actually a net win for me. So making that change mid draft is something you have to be able to understand uh, how to do. I don't like going in with, a, some people will go in and say, well, if I pick, if I punt free throws, then Andre Drummond's the eighth best player. I think that's the wrong way to go about it because the idea of, uh, I guess, narrowing your focus into a couple of categories is getting value on players. Like this guy, if I am disregarding a category, he, instead of being the 30th best guy, he's the 10th best guy. But if I take mm-hmm. him at the 10th spot, like well, there's no benefit in that to me. I'd rather get the guy who is 10th in what I'm trying to do at pick 30. And that's, creating an excess amount of value so it's about going in looking at what you do with your first cup uh, first pick in particular building those guys around it and then making adjustments on the fly yeah so it's it's um so i i the only fantasy that i've ever done is um fantasy football american football which i've done uh not this year but for the last i think seven years um but there's a lot more moving parts in fantasy basketball, uh, both during the season and then obviously like talking about draft strategy. In in fantasy football, it's pretty much like, you know, there's a good running back available and I haven't taken a running back yet, so I may as well pick him. Um, mm-hmm. But in you know fantasy basketball, obviously with having to weigh up sort of your projections for how you're going to win each category for the next eight months, um, there's a lot more that sort of goes into it. Um, have you got a setup where... Um, you're trying different strategies in like, each of your leagues or are you um, have you f- kind of figured out what you want to do when you've got that down pat so you're using that across most of your setups? No, look, it all, it all depends on what player I get first. Like if I'm picking at pick nine versus if I'm picking at pick yeah, two, it's a little bit different. If I end up with you know, Damien Lillard at pick seven or if I'm at pick two and I, I get Towns or Davis, then my setup or the way I'm going to build my team is different. I don't try to shoehorn stuff into one tried and true method. I guess I'm lucky in the fact that I've been doing it for a while and I play in so many leagues and I live this every day of the year pretty much is that no matter what situation presents itself to me, I know how to work that. Um, ideally, I, I do like to always yeah, disregard, say, oh, not always. Again, that depends on where I'm picking, but a common one for me is disregarding field goal percentage or disregarding blocks as a punt category because that tends to be concentrated in a few guys. If you don't get a Capella, uh, a Mitch Robinson, or um, you go bear one of those guys early on, it's really hard to recover. These are guys getting two and a half, three blocks a game, and everyone else you gets you one block or 0.8 blocks. If you don't get one of those guys early, it's pretty hard to compete in that area. So that's that if you don't end up with one of those guys, that's one to quickly disregard. But there's not, I don't, if you go in, and I say this on my show all the time, if you go in with a real preconceived notion of what you're doing, whether it's here's a list of players from 1 to 150 in draft or that, you're going to lose. If you go in with an idea of I'm going to do this, you're going to lose. You have to have an understanding of how to build it, but also be able to, if something changes, like how do you adapt to that? Mm. So you've got to just be so light on your feet and so reactive that you can just kind of go along with yeah. it. I mean, I mean, yeah, you would have a lot of experience 
um, obviously with all of the decades that you've been doing it. Um, how many legs are you actually playing in this year? I cut it down quite a bit this year. I think I'm in 10 this year, but yeah, five or six of those are dynasty leagues, which require less day-to-day type maintenance. They're mm. deep leagues. We have three, 400 players rostered. You're 20 men on a roster. So you're not you're dealing with the waiver wire. I've got people to come in and help co-manage those teams for me as well because I don't have the time to go through and do it with what I'm doing uh, you know, for, for work and trying to you know, adjust and provide all this advice for everyone else's league rather than my own. So I'm only in about three or four redraft leagues this season and about five or six uh, dynasty ones. A hmm. uh, bit of a bit of a different vein question. I'm a big Warriors fan, and I'm looking. You know, I love you. Obviously, whenever you draft these guys, you become more a bit more invested in. You know, I, I mean, I drafted Josh Richardson two years ago with the last pick, and I got so invested in his career because he was getting me one block, one steal. You know, a couple of threes here and there, and I just love the guy. And now I've followed him to to Philly, but I'm actually a Warriors fan, and I'm really looking at some. You know, I really want to draft someone like Alfonso McKinney or an Alec Burks with one of my later picks or maybe pick him off the waiver wire. So a bit of a basketball question. Who do you think, um, out of those Warriors non-big three players and maybe big four if you're that big on Kevon Looney? Um, <laughs> Which we are. <laughs> uh, uh, do, you, do you know any names down down the bottom of the doldrums of the Warriors roster that might be you know somewhat valuable in fantasy? Um, I am big on Kevon Looney. I think he's going to be huge this year. Um, those other guys, they're, they're, they're trash, really. Like If you're watching the Warriors, Alfonso McKinney has a few numbers. Alec Burks has had multiple opportunities to do things and, and can't. Um, I, I even idea that yeah, Alfonso actually may not make the final roster. They look, they might actually cut him with all the injuries to centres and keep Marquise Chris on. Now that means they've got absolutely no one at small forward, but it puts guys like Burks and Jordan Poole into larger roles. Mm. Maybe it's Poole that comes. He's a rookie. He's not. He's not going to do a huge amount. Yeah. Honestly, outside of Curry, Russell, Green, and Looney, they're the only four guys who I think are even close to being top 150 players. I don't think Corley Stein's in that area, especially with his foot issue that's going to keep him out for the first couple of weeks of the season. He's not that good anyway. <laughs> um, and the other, the deeper league guy I'm interested in is Eric, Eric Pascal, mm-hmm. who I think is back up forward for Draymond who will play center at times especially if these injuries persist mm. um and a guy that can pass a little bit he can he can get some defensive numbers he's a, a marginally interesting guy but the rest is garbage so when you talk about Pascal um he's one of two second round forwards that's debuting for the Warriors this year the other one being Alan Smilagic colloquially known on this podcast as Smilagic what uh, in your eyes differentiates Pascal as being a better option for fantasy than Smilagic um, well, I think that Pascal's a, a, an older player. Uh, he's going to be in the rotation earlier. It looks, Smilagic is interesting. Uh, he's only 19, played for the, the G League team last season. But I just, you know, when you, when you hear the Warriors guys, you talk to Warriors people, they just think that Pascal is ready to come in and contribute immediately. Smilagic is more of a center than, than a forward as well. So he'd be sitting behind the loonies and Corley Steins. And he's actually injured, injured with a pretty severe ankle injury at the moment as well. It's probably going to keep him out for the first couple of weeks of the regular season minimum. So he's a fair way away in that regard. But in terms of long-term value, a lot of people are big on Smilagic. They just probably think it's two, three years away. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, yeah, like you say, he's, a, he's an overseas player and he's you know still 19. So it, it, the, book's, the book's yet to be written. I just was a bit curious. Um, do you have any thoughts overall on how you approach rookies and young players who maybe don't have a lot of um, 
a lot of experience. So like, you know, rookies like um, like Jar or Zion or there's someone like Jaron Jackson or Mo Bamba who they've played, but the, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of maybe they only played 22 minutes and in Bamba's case missed half a season. Do you um, take it on a case by case basis or do you tend to try and stay away from players like that? No, nah, look, I've got no problem with taking taking young guys in the appropriate spot. We have to remember that majority of time that rookies are bad. But there's always going to be a couple that, that put up numbers. And we had you know, five or six top 100 guys last year. That's not going to repeat this year. I think we maybe have two, potentially three this season. Uh, and, and there's a lot of second-year guys who are going to take big steps up. Yeah, Jackson, uh, Trey Young's going to get better again this year. There's plenty of these. Uh, Marvin Bagley's going to be much better this season as well. Uh, there's plenty of these guys who are going to take steps forward. Looking at what the player can do, but also the situation they're in. So you look at Jaron Jackson, for example, versus Mo Bamba. You know, pick four versus pick six. Jackson's going to be starting in Memphis. He's going to be the guy that they, he is their guy now. He is their number one player that they look to build around. So they're going to give him a lot of shots. If he stays out of foul trouble, the minutes are going to be there. He's going to be bombing in threes. They're going to be playing at a high pace. Bumba's going to be playing behind Nikola Vucevic. So, yeah, how many minutes is he going to get upside wise there? They're not going to play him next to Vucevic because that means they limit Aaron Gordon or they limit Jonathan Isaac, which they're mm-hmm. not likely to do. They also brought in Al Aminu, who's going to play those positions too. So Bumba, he might get one or two minutes next to Vuce. They might cut Vuce's minutes down by one a game because he played in fever. But that gives, what, 18 minutes a night for, for Bumba. Maybe he gets up to 20. And the ceiling there, unless you're banking on injury, just isn't there. He was also significantly worse than what Jackson was. So it's all about looking what they did in college, looking what they did as rookies, looking at what they've done in other areas, whether that's the G League, but also looking at the situation they're in, who's around them, and trying to account for their foibles in certain areas. Are you looking at valuing players like Jaron Jackson, who can play as a as a five or as a four, versus um, a bit more positionally static players? Yeah, look, that, that, that helps, obviously. Look, they're going to play Jackson almost exclusively as a four this season, but they'll shift him over to, to the five uh, when Valanchunas is off or, or injured as, as he is at the moment. Um, yeah, positional versatility helps. There is some thought that maybe Bumba could play a, as a four as well. He, he can shoot a little bit from outside, but that's probably not going to be ideal for him. Like, uh, Jackson's best position is at centre anyway, but that's not the direction that they are going to be going at this, uh, at this stage. So there is some value in that, but yeah, most of it is about opportunity uh, with these guys and, and where they're fitting in and who's around them on the team and on the depth chart. Hmm. And just final question, uh, for a few people heading into this league, what, uh, what, what would be just your one bit of advice from the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast? What would be your one advice going into this year's Fantasy League? The number one thing that everyone has to be aware of heading into their draft is you have to know what your league settings are you don't know you're going to lose like if you someone joins into your league and they don't realize the percentages aren't counted they're going to lose mm. but it's as simple as that you need to know what what categories are being counted is it category league is it a points league how many teams are in it? how many roster spots do i need do i have certain roster uh, eligibility requirements do i need to start two centers or, or one center or no centers or, or three guards or what do i have to do with my roster because it changes the way you're building your team out what pick are you at you, you have to know your settings are you setting your lineup every week or you're setting it every day because that changes things as well if you don't know your settings you've you're lost already and if you do know them that's 50 percent to having a successful draft and then you're on to your successful season mm. all right well uh well thanks for speaking with us um just do you want to tell the listeners where they can find your content and where you're at yeah you can find me on twitter at redrock underscore b-ball the podcast which can be found anywhere podcasts are found and also on youtube is the locked on fantasy basketball podcast and all my projections are over at basketball monster as well you're a legend thanks so much for speaking with us josh no worries guys cheers
If you like what you're hearing and you want to help us out, remember to follow us on Spotify or leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also hit us up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or get in contact with us at deep2podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your support and continued loyalty to the greatest Australian NBA podcast, the Deep 2 NBA podcast, and it is very much appreciated. Make it a great day. Make it a great day.